You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Tanya Pinkins, and um, you're listening to You Can't Say That podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network. (laughs) And my guest today is a dear, dear friend, one of the most esteemed actresses, acting coaches um, in the business. And I'm so pleased to be speaking with her today. Her name is Alice Spivak. She is the author of the book, How to Rehearse When There's No Rehearsals. She's the founder of on the road repertory theater company. And I first met her when she was working on my first film, which was produced by Harry Belafonte and David Picker. Welcome, Alice. Thank you, Tanya. It's so good to see you. And it's funny, I was talking about your first film. Yeah. uh, Beat Street. Beat Street. And I wasn't absolutely sure it was your first film. So now I know. It was my first film. I know you were a child, that I knew. (laughs) Do you talk about how many years young you are, Alice? Uh, sure, it's okay. Go ahead. You tell us. How many years young are you? How many years? I'm 84 years young. 84 years young. She mm. has a, a vast history of this business, of of acting, and I, I want to talk to you about some of the people you've coached and also about the, the different styles and the changes in the way actors work and the changes in the way the work is. I know I, you have a very small internet footprint, so most of what I know about you is not found online. It's um, like I know you coached uh, Diane Carroll, the late, yes, great Diane Carroll. I miss her very much. My how did that, heart is broken. Actually. How did that happen that you ended up coaching Diane? Oh, well, that was interesting. Um, uh, I... I think the first call I got was, and I think it came through Harry Belafonte, who you mentioned, uh, David Frost, and she were an item at the time, and David Frost called up Harry and said, you know, that Diane wants to come into, is coming to town to do a movie, and she's a little, uh, you know, do you recommend anyone? She's a bit nervous, and Harry has already uh, told my name uh, a few times. So there it was. Uh, he called me. We made an appointment, and I went up and visited with Miss Carroll. Now, at this, how how far into her career is Miss Carroll at this point? Well, she was pretty far into her career, but this was a movie. This was Claudine. This was oh a my movie God. about a welfare Claudine. mother with children that James Earl Jones had 
pulled together uh, with John Berry, whom he brought in. John Berry had been blacklisted for many years and lived in Europe. And so this was uh, bringing John Berry back home to do, to direct this movie. And she was a bit nervous about it. Also, very, very sadly, which adds to the sadness I feel now, actually, about Diane, uh, she was replacing Diana Sands, <gasps> whom I knew. Oh. And Diana Sands was ill with cancer. And uh, it was sort of, she didn't know that she wasn't going to be leaving that hospital. And so Diane felt very bad about coming into town. She didn't want Diana to know she was in town or that mm. this was being considered that she was going to replace mm. her. Because that was, a, that was a, something that had been worked out before James got together with Diana and got John Berry and had this lovely movie. So anyway, when I, it's a story, I guess. When I first met Diane Carroll, it, I was in her apartment and I was feeling uh, a little bad because I knew it had to do with this sort of tragic circumstances. And she walked in the room looking absolutely, of course, beautiful and glamorous and everything. And, and she looked at me and I looked at her and then she started crying and I she said I don't want Diana to know and and that was our first meeting we both sort of hugged each other and that was started a relationship which I suppose lasted 45 years or something as a friendship it was a friendship it was she was my student we were colleagues we we worked on projects together but also um we were very close friends I I mean, to me, I, she was my very close friend. And um, so this was a big shock. Her passing in October was a big shock. So she wasn't me. ill? She was ill, but it was very, well, you know, years ago she had had a bout with cancer, but it was very, very beginning cancer. And she had six weeks, I think, of radiation. I was kind of with her then. And then uh, she was clean. She was cleaned for a lot of years. And then uh, this popped up again, I guess, in the late summer. And I wasn't hearing back from her, and I finally had to call her daughter and say, you know, what's going on? And and then I was trying to get out there. I had to go out for the convention. I was a delegate to the sag after convention. I said, okay, if she could just hang on, I'll be there Thursday. But no, she she left the, the Friday before. Mm. And so I felt a little, you know, unfinished. I wanted to at least kiss her. I know that she was kind of out of it. But, yeah. But she did. She wanted to go at the end, says her daughter, because it was in pain. I guess it was in pain and so forth. Mm. Yeah. And we always, I always wish people an easy out. Yeah. Well, hers wasn't terribly easy from what I hear from Which kind of Suzanne. cancer was it? It breast, well, it had metastasized, is that the word, to the lungs. Oh. So she was having a hard time breathing. That was what gave it away. And the doctor came and said, well, let's put her in the hospital. But by then she had been kind of living a little bit reclusively. So, um, you know... She wasn't in a happy, happy time of her life. I don't know mm. why this thing suddenly erupted, but mm. it did. So what is it like to coach the great Diane Carroll? She was already the great Diane Carroll <laughs> well, before she Claudine. <laughs> she was great. She was the diva. Yes. We did many projects together. Uh, a diva, though, I was thinking about it actually because of this. 
the divas I've known are really children. They're they're really little children. They're fem, uh, female divas uh, because they've had to put on so much armor to mm. get through. And you may even know this, Tanya. I really think you have had to do that uh, as a female in the business and a black female in particular. And but any female really, you uh, as you reach a certain point, you know, you realize that you have to sort of quote behave like a man and that kind of makes you into a diva. Mm. But so she was, she was difficult. In some instances, I've watched it. Mm. She was difficult with me, but then she was who she was. But she was really a little girl. And that's the part that we were, you know, close about. Uh, her being a little girl and me being also a little girl, but a little bit wiser. Why am I wiser? <laughs> because I didn't have to put up with all the, the crap she had to put up with because I wasn't on that, you know, high plane. So I could be a little wiser and comfort her about things or at least listen, hear her out about it. But she, she was very bright too, as you know. Do you find that the way you coach has differed across the generations and the decades? Yeah, well, I get probably more relaxed about it. Maybe people You think. were pretty relaxed when you were coaching me. <laughs> I know, because I love what you said about me. I'm going to have to repeat it. Yes, I said you go and you coach with Alice and and then you just get, you just sitting there, you're having a cup of tea, you're chit-chatting, and then you get the job. That, <laughs> and it isn't 100% true, but I love that. I love that. But yeah, no, I, I probably was always a bit relaxed because to me, coaching is to try to get the best of the other person out. Mm -hmm. And if I'm sort of there as a technician only and I'm, you know, driving at uh, technical aspects of whatever it is we're working on, uh, the other person, I don't think my student doesn't really have a chance to come out and, and feel how they feel about it so that I can change how they feel about it so that they can get the job, whatever. Of course, getting the job, there's a lot of other elements like uh, whatever's going on in the casting people at that time. So uh, when I uh, coach, I like to make it also an experience which will help towards all work. So if they don't get that particular job, it isn't like it all hinges on, do I get that job? It's like, this is the way you should approach this kind of thing always, you know, I'm kind of trying to always make, give it some level of uh, an aspect of technique that will stay with you forever and that you could use it again, that you understand what I mean by listening and, and uh, using your imagination and, and um, really uh, embracing and communicating with whomever the reader is, no matter how bad they are. <laughs> What I mean by bad is, you know, wouldn't they are or seeming un uninvolved they are. Sometimes it's better than readers who try to involve themselves, you know, mm. just readers who are sort of neutral sitting there. And if you're having to read with, this is all about reading with someone, what we call sides for a show, a play, a movie, or a television show, uh, you have to um, create some sort of relationship with that reader uh, so that you could really feel involved, even though they are wrong. <laughs> they are the wrong gender even, or 
their wrong age. It doesn't matter, but you have to learn how to do that. So I put all that into the coaching session. So it's not just about this one job, but hopefully it will last through some others, you know. And do you find that applies even in this world now where we're self-taping and sometimes uh. we're self-taping with somebody on the, on the telephone or, you know, because we don't have a human being in the room with us to read. Yeah, self-taping is uh, one of the latest uh, uh, in the list of how to make the actor pay for his own uh, life. Yes, <laughs> yes. In other words, H and HR, I think it's called, does not exist in our industry. It's like you have to do everything. You have to get yourself there You ha- or you have to self-tape. I've never done it. I, 80% of my auditions, it, probably really 90% of my auditions yeah. are self-tapes now. Well, since I auditioned rarely... Uh, it's never be, uh, been to self-tape. One time it was um, for, a, believe it or not, it was a commercial or an industrial, and my commercial agent asked me, and I said, well, I'll try, and I sent something in. I, I, but when I help with the others who are I know are self-taping a lot, all because of the greed and stinginess of the people in the industry, um, and they don't want to in- you know, be involved with the actor. They're afraid of actors. It's, you know, I've taught film directing over many years too. And uh, one of the biggest lessons is how not to be afraid of actors. Uh, They're human beings. They're just like you. They feed, they they go to sleep, they bleed when you cut them. And so it's because they are petrified of actors. Why are directors petrified of actors? Well, if they're new directors and they haven't really worked with actors, they think the actor is going to take over because they're feeling rather insecure. And they're absolutely right. The actor will take over if the director hasn't got a clue. <laughs> so they they want to prove themselves and they have to have uh, authority. And then they uh, cause other problems on the sets. I mean, that I've been on sets like where accidents occur when the director is insecure. Directors really the, that's another subject because I have taught film directing at NYU at Columbia and I also had a workshop of uh, for about seven years. Um, all because I was doing all this coaching on films. Like when I met you, Tanya, I was coaching. So I brought that knowledge uh, about, and the fact that I'm an actor and that I, coach and teach actors to these film directors, uh, in quotes, some in the, you know, graduate film school. I did have Spike as one of my students, <laughs> <laughs> Spike Lee, and, um, and that was at NYU. But I also had workshops where I had people who had had Emmys already from industrials and, and uh Tell us some of the people you've coached, some of the actors, some of the directors you've coached. Oh, dear. I always hate to go through a list. I I always want to say... Listeners want to know. I want to say Miss Piggy. She was probably (laughs) my most famous... Miss Piggy? Miss Piggy, because Frank was my student. (laughs) Frank Oz was my student. So (laughs) she she was my... um, yeah, she's an alumna okay. of my classes. Anyway, I did I did work with Frank Oz in the early days and also a little bit later when he did a film, you know, some years ago. Um, so I work with directors, um, and I've been uh, privileged to work with Stan Latham right. and and uh, who took over that. 
and I was privileged to work with, oh, if I can remember now, George Hong, who was married to Tyne Daly. He was fun to work with. Michael Schultz was fun to work with. Michael Schultz was marvelous because I said, you know, I've always taught directors using three elements that they have to learn, and now I'm adding a fourth. And he looked at me, I said, well, because I always thought that they must learn a concept. They must learn communication, and they must learn, which is very difficult, perception. So concept is what do I want to make here, and then communicate is how I communicate it to the actors, and then perception is to see if the actor got it. That's one thing that they sometimes aren't really watching. Um, but then, because of Michael Schultz, I added charm. <laughs> Did he not have charm? He had a lot of charm. Oh. And I said, you are making me now say charm is a really important element for directing on film. Can you teach charm? Uh, well, but you can demand it <laughs> in some way. I mean, you some people just are, are crunchier. They just don't rub you the right I way. Know. You know, charm kind of, it is something you do. It's a verb, but, you know, not everybody has it. No, it's true. Not everybody will ever be perceptive either and yeah. can't communicate. Look at, well, I won't mention. Yeah, do mention. <laughs> Woody, Woody Allen doesn't communicate. You've worked with Woody Allen, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, dear. Yes. And he doesn't communicate at all. He he barely, uh, he's hiding somewhere on the set and he says, all right, do it again. And then he'll just cut it out. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> but, and it, those were those days and I'm sure it's still true, but um, <laughs> so there will never be communication on that level. And he has to just keep, you know, using actors that will fit the part and the scene and hopefully it'll work together when the editor puts it together. <laughs> and so, but, but there are others, Sidney Lumet, whom I worked with a lot, is was a fabulous director and I have come in contact with, but not worked with really, just sort of on the side, uh, with Clint Eastwood, mm. who's also still alive, 89, did a fabulous film, one of my favorites this year at 89 years old. Um, the Mule, right? Richard Jewell. Oh, Richard Jewell. Okay, okay. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It was okay. wonderful performances, okay. wonderful movie. And Kathy Bates, I think, has gotten a nominee for it. She sort of came out of retirement to do it, but mm. it was beautiful. Mm. And there's Clint. And Clint on a set has charm. He certainly is perceptive without ever having to make a deal about it because he's an actor, you know, and he can communicate through his very charming way mm. and just says, ah, let's try this, let's try that. And um, and he has a concept. He comes with a concept in his mind, and that's, that's being an artist. Mm. So I think Clint is an artist, regardless of his supposed politics. I can't understand his politics because his movies are not. At all. They don't match his politics at no, all. It's, no, it's, you know. And it's really an example of someone where the politics and the art, they don't have a lot to do with each other. He makes great movies. Exactly. And his movies are conceptually uh, about the opposite mm -hmm. of his politics. He's really very left-wing in his movies. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and always has been anti-war, anti-guns, and, anti and uh, he, he had the first black-white kiss on in film what uh, was in that? the Iger sanction. Wow, that was Clint Eastwood. Wow, and he did uh, you know around midnight, uh, around midnight, mm -hmm. right? and he did um, uh, 
about uh, you know the, 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 the thing many 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 movies that Josie Wales they were oh, that was anti-Vietnam he he did the unwestern western because of the violence in it he's the opposite yeah of Quentin Tarantino so he <laughs> so Clint Eastwood <laughs> is my man and I did get to speak to him and he I mentioned to him that he and Sidney Lumet were my absolute favorite American directors since William Wyler and all those guys died. Mm. <laughs> uh, and they weren't American. Most of them were coming from other countries. Uh, but Sidney Lumet and Clint Eastwood, who started out as actors, both of them, of course, Clint went on to have a big career and Sidney stopped it after being a, a child in movies. But... They were similar, and then and uh, in that they were love, they love actors. Mm. They embraced the actors. They they made it good for the actors. They opened up the atmosphere for the actors, uh, and uh, and they also, you know, the actor could trust them that they could see whether it was happening or not because it's very difficult for the actor, who is you know in front of the camera to know whether that take really worked. I mean, mm. they have some kind of judgment, but they have to rely and trust that the director who says, cut, we got it, mm -hmm. knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, and that is, that's a, a good percentage of <clears throat> directors, but they do fit. So Clint Eastwood said, oh, I'm so sorry I never met Sidney Lumet. I said, I know the two of you really are alike. They both get in under budget mm. and on or under schedule. Mm. Wow. Always. Because a really good artist and one who loves what he's doing and love who lo loves what she's doing and loves the actors uh, are always going to get in on schedule and under budget. Mm. And that I see that all the time. Mm. Once they're insecure or they have no concept or they're uh, afraid of actors, I consider it just fear of actors, uh, then they're always going to go over the schedule. They're going to have to throw in more money. Because they're not trusting that they got what they need they and they're not trusting know, the decision. They so they're getting yeah. as much more and extra. Right. I mean, I have to say that my movie did come in on budget and on time. And I, really I love that. Uh, <laughs> you know, worked in a weird way with actors because I didn't have a lot of time and I didn't have a lot of money that I'd sometimes just be like, you know, when I say action, take as many much time as you need to before you come in on that line. And then when you get to this line, take some time, you know, and just really left it up to them. And I thought, do they think that's like weird? But for me, it's like people get awards for the way they respond. You're not getting an award for talking. And it's like my talking is not meaningful. Right. What you're going to do is meaningful. So I know here I'm interested in what you do. Right. When you get to that line, take some time before you start again. Exactly. <clears throat> Which means you have concept, I'm sure, although I don't know the thing of the movie, <laughs> communication. And certainly perception. And of course, you're going to be charming. You're going to be loving, even. And I think that's what it takes to really make, you know, the, the great. Uh, one of my other favorite, favorite uh, directors is Mike Lee, who's mm. in England, who takes six months of rehearsal wow. and creates his movies. And then he has this wonderful uh, company of actors that 
They're never as good in anything else as they were in his movies because they went to America to make some money and therefore they don't have rehearsal, mm, which right. is what my book is about. Right, how to no rehearse rehe- when there is no rehearsal. Right. I went to a, some kind of Q&A with Mike Lee. I usually don't do that, but it was his last movie was Peterborough. And I rushed over there because I just wanted to see the man. And he's in his, well, into his 70s. But he's also working theater. He's... He's a, an all-around artist, but he loves actors. He works with actors. He takes a long time with actors. They help him rewrite the script, although he has a very solid script. He, he wants them to develop the character. So if you see any of his movies, you always say, my God, their acting is so unbelievable. Leslie, what's her name? <laughs> I'm going to be bad with the name. It's names. okay. Yeah, in, in uh, the movie... Uh, the years and well, the last movie was Peterborough, and everybody in it, even if they were a, what we would call a day player, are such a totally three dimensional character, so involved in the environment and with everything else and with the story uh, because of the way he works. And they said, Well, how do you get six months of rehearsal? He said, Because it's in my contract. I think I'm likely to direct it to them, and then they have to give me six months. Right. He said, I know that in the United States you don't don't believe in that, of course, which is why I wrote the book. Uh, Rehearsal has become antiquated. It's like, why do we need rehearsal? Mm. Don't ask that of a ballet dancer Mm. or an opera singer Mm. or even um, a, a musician, although some of them come in and just improvise. But... But definitely, actors don't need rehearsal. I've actually come to a, I had one woman, she was a lovely gal, model, and she was doing parts in television where I would maybe even go with her. I was coaching her on it, and she's really sweet. And they wananted a tall, beautiful model. Shall Could this I be Marla Maples? No, Marla. Because <laughs> we know you coach so Marla. <laughs> But this was Kathy Ireland, okay, and she's a doll. She's an absolute doll. But I do have to tell a story on Kathy. Okay. Um, And Kathy did very well as a swimsuit model, but she also did very well uh, with a sportswear line. So she was already doing very well in life. Financially well, but she clearly wanted some depth. Well, she wanted to act, yeah, some more. And so we did a couple of skits. We actually... uh, uh, it worked on Matt TV. I remember there were a couple of things that we did. And then she got cast. All right, this is a story. Believe it or not, in a play, and it was Three Tall Women oh. by Edward Albee. Oh, my God. And obviously it was in L.A. where San Diego actually. So they cast her because guess what? She was tall. <laughs> so... <laughs> Six feet <laughs> so, well, so, that's a good reason to get an acting job, so, right? So her her uh, her manager called me up, on the, and he said uh, they want Kathy for Three Tall Women at the San Diego Playhouse. And I said, "What? <laughs> you know, that's a very verbal, very over the t- head play. It happens to be." I think his one great play in many years that Edward Albee, since Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Three Tall Women, I thought was the next great play. <laughs> but, um, and all those other plays in between were not as great as that. 
And so I said, well, what do they want her to do? And he said, well, they want her to do an audition, a piece of something from Edward Albee's plays. I said, well, there's nothing really in his plays for a young woman like, a young woman like Kathy. Uh, so I can't think of anything except Three Tall Women. And they said, well, what about Zoo Story? So this is L.A. Talking. Oh, God. So I said, well, you know, Zoo Story is just two guys. <laughs> One all Oh, oh, okay. Well, what, what can she take anything from? I said, listen, if she's serious about this, she wants to do it as an exercise. We'll take 12 lines or so out of Three Tall Women, out of the character, the young character, and we'll work on it over the phone, you know. So I worked with her over the phone on 12 lines or so from Three Tall Women, but they were predisposed to. Ask. She was getting this job anyway. So she <laughs> if she could it. walk and talk, she was getting the job. Right. <laughs> But she couldn't really walk and talk, but not on stage. <laughs> and I felt really bad for the other two actresses oh, who were with her. But, but anyway, she's such a darling person, you couldn't <laughs> dislike her. So one of the things she said to me, we'll, we'll meet and we'll work. So she was coming in to do some sort of commercial, and they sent a limo for me, and I went out to some wilds of New Jersey where she was doing it, and there was really very little time to sit and talk with her. And so I did. I said, I said, Kathy, you realize that in this, in this situation, unlike the ones we've done for TV, um, is that you uh, have to rehearse six days a week, eight hours a day. The San Diego Playhouse is underground, and you're going to have to, you have family in Santa Barbara, but you're going to have to be there. And, um, <clears throat> and um, until they open, you know, the preview. And she said, what? <laughs> so she, she said, what do you mean? If I learn the lines, do I still have to rehearse? <laughs> I take it she didn't do the play. She did do it. Oh, she did. This is what's so weird. <laughs> she did. And then I was called down as an emergency uh, during the first uh, kind of preview. It was it was being directed by a, uh, you know, some of these regional things. It was directed by the stage manager of a, <laughs> of a show that was directed by somebody else. So they're kind of doing it. Because they re they have the book, right? So he, uh, he they were just happy to have Kathy Ireland because they wouldn't get people in, right? Right, to come to see her. So I did have to console the other two actresses, <laughs> and then go home with her, and after the first kind of preview, <clears throat> and just give her, you know, amazing uh, course in acting in about four days in her home uh, about walking and talking things like that. About, about a very acting technique one. And, right. But she won't mind my telling this because she don't know, She went on to do it. Right. She did it. And she she's successful it. and she keeps acting all the time. Does she, Kathy? I think so. I don't think she's been doing much as an really? actress. I don't know. Beatrice Let's is going to find out Please for do. us. Because um, <clears throat> I'd be surprised she didn't call me if she's acting. <laughs> I feel like is I she feel only, have I only seen Kathy in the swimsuits and the Sports Illustrated. Yeah, and thing? then and a little bit on TV. I think she was even on Bill's show. Bill's well, isn't TV that's acting? Yes, yes, that's it. I mean, that's acting. But that was a while ago. Okay, okay. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I don't know. You know. Maybe she got to do a Lifetime movie. <clears throat> I didn't now, know. what about Marla Maples? Now, we know Marla, you coached yeah, Marla for yeah, a long Marla time. Marla was a... Marla was a very, this is, it's getting a little gossipy. Is that You can't say that, of course. Let's be gossipy. Oh, you can't say that. The show where you can. I am so happy. I'm provocative, (laughs) unstoppable, and fierce. Well, that's me. This is the show where you can (laughs) say that. You can't say that. The show where you can. Again, nothing, uh, Marla herself, why I stuck with her through a lot of uh, stuff is because she's the sweetest, nicest person. Now, these gals are nice, and they're just not really, I would say, wise to certain things, and like like Kathy, who thought you didn't need to rehearse if you learned all the lines, because what did she know? But Marla <clears throat> uh, came in after doing kind of beauty contests or whatever and wanted to get on daytime TV is when I met her, because the uh, ABC, I guess it was, daytime people called and said, look, there's a gal here. We would love her to, to do some training because she, you know, for soap opera, and you did soap opera, uh, you can sort of train. It's like its own genre. Mm-hmm. So you can <clears throat> kind of bring someone in who, who looks right, and then they can sort of get to do it in these close-ups and repeat lines over and over, <laughs> over many, many months, the same story is right. going on. So it's not that tricky, although it is hard. So I used to be the, the, the person to go to person, I think for soap opera, bringing in new people into soap. So they presented me with Marla, Marla Maples. And they said that she was, uh, gossipy and provocative and me saying it uh, is that she was, uh, Donald Trump's lawyer's girlfriend. I said, so what? <laughs> <laughs> So that's why we're th- considering her. I don't have Trump's lawyer's girlfriend. So I put her in class, and she was a very sweet, could hardly be heard, but but very sweet, uh, cooperative, very friendly with everybody uh, in the class. And about one week into the class, people were coming up to me and saying, do you know that? She has pictures of Donald Trump all over the place. And she's living at the um, San Moritz. I said, so what? <laughs> What am I going to do about that? And that's how I started working with the Marla. Again, it was sad in a way because uh, she was divided. I mean, you know, she really wanted to be an actress. And I told her very bluntly that if you marry him, you won't be an actress because he won't permit it. Mm. And that was how it turned out. And then he decided to change wives and she was out. Mm. 
but there were a lot of uh, things in between. She did get to do a few things. I remember there was a, a potential tour that she could have taken, I think, before she had the baby and everything. It was with <coughs> um, two actors who wanted her, who was sort of known, wanted her to do David Mamet's Speed the Plow mm. in a tour. Mm-hmm. And she <clears> was perfect for that role. If you remember, on Broadway, the first person to play that role was Madonna. Mm. <clears throat> and then Felicity Huffman, actually. She got but that role is about a girl who's got to have a beautiful, you know, derriere and, uh, you know, looking sort of like uh, someone who maybe in Hollywood for different reasons than others she says. In other words, a liar. <laughs> so it was like... <laughs> How do you play a liar, a beautiful blonde a liar? And although I don't think she lied, there was something about Marla that you weren't sure when she would say things like, he's so spiritual, <laughs> whether or not she was lying. Maybe she believed that. <clears throat> but I think she believed it. And okay. I think up to this day she believes it. Okay. But she did want to write a book, she told me last time I saw her. So here's a little Trump stuff. She wanted to write a book when he the campaign began. I, I haven't seen her since he got elected. <clears throat> um, <laughs> it's so hard to say that. But she was going to write a book, and uh, she said that he's not what people say he is, like against... Mexicans, for instance, who are white nationalists. No, not at all. And I'm going to write a book to say how he really is. And I said, if you do that, he will certainly have it stopped at least because that would be something he wouldn't want known. (laughs) He wouldn't want known that he is not a white nationalist because he needs needs that to get ahead. Mm. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of condensed. It's the brand. And so I said, so don't write your book if you don't want to get into another uh, court battle with him because she had been in a couple. Mm. And you, it's difficult to be in a court battle with him or any battle. Any court battle. So that was Marla. She did get to do a little work, and and she really wanted it, and she attempted it after she moved away to <clears throat> L.A., but he was always there <clears throat> preventing it. Whether or not she did admit that, he... He would prevent that. It also, I really believe that it was through Marla, his uh, second wife, that he decided he wanted to be a performer. Mm. Uh, and the whole thing with The Apprentice and everything happened uh, after that because he didn't want her in the limelight at all, even though he sort of helped her get into, she got into a Broadway show, uh, Will Rogers' Follies, where she didn't have any lines, but she did cartwheels. So it was, and he gave her a big party at the plaza, but in that that party that I happened to be at, uh, you could see that he was the star. It wasn't really a party for Marla. He was really enjoying the fact that I've got to be on camera. Yeah, I met a, 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 a cinematographer who said that there were two people who he had ever filmed in his entire career who they come to life when the camera turns on. And that first one was Gary Nall and the second one is 45 because I don't promote the brand by saying the name. Don't say the name. That 45 
just comes to life in front of the camera. Like it's, he's in love with it. He makes love to it. It is everything for him. I totally agree. The first, first time I actually saw him was at that party. Who will ride just follies? And I was standing with Marty Riches, who was the producer. And we were just amazed at this huge party that was going on. For the girl who did the cartwheels. Yes. <clears throat> one was all Western food for cowboys, and one was all Southern food for Michigan, Georgia, and stuff. And a lot of uh, famous faces were there, and I was like looking around. This was like an amazing. And the play had been playing for a while. So Marty Richards <laughs> grabbed my arm and said, as he looked around, he said, I feel like she's Eve Harrington and I'm Margot <laughs> Channing. <laughs> she's taken over his production. He was producer circle who had <clears throat> produced it. So anyway, while we were standing together in walks 45, he wasn't then 45, uh, with a camera crew walking backwards <clears throat> with a sun lamp and he walked in with the camera crew walking backwards, filming him walking in. <laughs> okay. The party. Everybody was there already. Marla was there and so forth. Okay. And it was this huge space. There were actually two huge spaces. I don't know how. The beginning of the career. The well, rise. I don't think so because I looked at Marty <clears throat> and I said, we were watching him. I was in my, my, my mouth was agape. I, mean, I was at, that's impossible. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> And I've been around stars. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. And he, he, and I said, you know what I think, Marty? I think that camera crew is in his house, in his apartment, and when he wakes up, it's on. <laughs> and then when he gets out of the bathroom, uh, goes to the bathroom, it's with him. And then after the bathroom, he gets dressed, it's with him, and then it takes him outdoors, and then it brings him. I think the camera is always there. And it's just the documentary of the life. The film is being made. He has to be recorded. <sighs> and I said that's what it looked like to me, just seeing him enter with that little camera crew. Wow. And then what happened inside the party? I said, oh, Marla... And I, uh, they had been married, and that she had the baby already, and all of that. That's true. Uh, she uh, was uh, doomed. I could see it because he got up on this platform where she was supposedly being introduced, and he <coughs> started talking, and and uh, I, I don't know what he was talking about. But anyway, <laughs> she pushed him because it was supposed to be her party, and I went to Marty, my companion, and said, "That's it. It's over." <laughs> She pushed him away from the mic. Eek. And occasionally she would, you know, uh, uh, nudge him. You can't do that. No. 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 He's so that was Marla, but that was just a little chapter in my life, which was exhausting <laughs> because the newspapers and magazines and whatever knew my name was on her resume. So I was being hounded for about, there were two solid weeks that I was being hounded when this event happened where she confronted uh, his first wife so in Aspen so um and then I was being hounded I mean the 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 my the doorman in my building at the time was saying what are we going to do there's always a, a camera crew outside the building and there were other really well-known people in the building <laughs> they were just so yeah he just took about over that. the and the first paper that ever called me 
to ask questions was the National Enquirer. And I started laughing and I said, the National Enquirer, yeah, come on, who's, who's joking? No, no, this is the National Enquirer. And they asked me a few questions. Of course, I denied I, I, I didn't know anything. They called again a couple of days later, and they were right. <clears throat> because when the Daily News and the New York Post started calling, and then even Newsweek called, and then hard copy arrived, and current events arrived, and it was like I was being inundated for two weeks. She was hiding out. In Guatemala, she called me at one point. She said, I'm so sorry. I know what's going on, and I'm so sorry it's happening to my mother. And, uh, you know, um, I thought I'd have to leave town. <laughs> and um, and they wouldn't stop hounding me uh, about this ridiculous stuff. I mean, one time they put a, a mic on me on Horatio Street where I was living, and I went outside because the door was like, could you get them out on the street? And I went outside, they put the mic, and I said, today is the day Nelson Mandela has been freed from prison <laughs> after 27 years. And the interviewer looked at me, what? No, 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 we're, we're not talking about that. <laughs> what were the scenes Marla did in your class? I love that. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can on the Broadway Podcast Network. That was part one of my talk with the great acting coach, actress, director, Alice Spivak. Come back for part two and more of our dish. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.